morning, everybody. Glad you guys are with us here at E3 today. My name is Dan Meyer, one of the pastors here, and we're continuing our conversation about dangerous prayers. So the purpose of this series is really to, to have a conversation about intentional prayers that if we pray them, if we will give ourselves to them, if we will stir up our relationship with God through them, that they will begin to disrupt the status quo. They will actually empower us. They will, they will kick open doors to be able to see God moving in and through our lives, to be able to actually live out and be the church. We're not supposed to just come to church. That's sometimes the, that's the way that we, we characterize it. Hey, I'm, I'm going to church, right? But, but going to church is very different than being the church. And we come to church so that we can be the church. We can't miss this. The Sunday is for every other day. The power of this day is what lives beyond it. So the things that we learn and things that we grow in and things that we hear and the things that we experience, if it just lasts for these 65 minutes, for these 72 minutes, for however long that period of time is, and it doesn't resonate into our daily lives, if it doesn't stir our spirits to have more communion and fellowship with God's spirit, if it doesn't drive us to love God and to love people, then we're, then we're missing out on something, right? Living out the purpose of the church to, to glorify God through unity so that when we come in this place, there's, there's not red and blue, there's not left and right, there's Jesus as king, Amen? This is, this is part of living in the purpose of the church, the things that we're called to, called to build each other up, called to be sent out, called to bring reconciliation and blessing to the world. And simply put, just wrap it all up, like Jesus said, right? To love God and to love people, the simplicity of, of our calling. And, and as much as our culture likes to sell us tickets to sit on the sidelines and watch other people's relationships through social media feeds, through reality television, through our, our star-watching mags, whatever it is, you know, the, the reality of it is that relationships are not a spectator sport, right? I mean, this is something we got to have skin in the game. i got to show up every single day as a husband. If I don't, there's going to be problems. i got to show up every single day as a dad, I can't just say to my kids, I'm sorry, um, you don't have a dad today. I got other things to do. I can't just check out. I can't just, just sit there and let them be fatherless within the confines of my own home. No, it, it's, it's my job to step into those roles that God has entrusted me with, to be the church, to be his tangible hands in any relationship that he has gifted me with, in any environment that he has called me into. And so as we do that, whether it's walking into our cubicles on Monday morning, whether it's living that out in our, in our home, whether maybe it's even on the drive home today, maybe there is a person that God has that he wants to interrupt your time, your schedule with, and maybe there's a God appointment that's waiting for you. You just don't even know it yet, but, but you'll drive by that person and you'll go, maybe I should have stopped. And maybe you should turn around. And maybe you should be the tangible hand of Christ in that person's life. Maybe you should answer that phone call when you see that face on the caller ID and go, I don't know if I really want to answer. 
But God, do you want me to? God, do you want me to be your voice in that person's life right now? Because they might be desperate for some truth. They might be desperate for some unconditional love. Relationships require love and grace and faith and hope, right? And they require change. Require change. If you don't think that your relationships require change, the person that you're in relationship with is absolutely miserable. Just want you to know. If you think that relationships don't require any change of you, that love doesn't require some kind of sacrificial generosity and giving up of your preference, the people that you're in a relationship are are suffering. See, that is not God's ideal of of love. God's ideal of love is, is putting each other first, right? This is the kind of transformation that only comes through Jesus. Faithlessness doesn't bring this kind of, of change in our relationships, right? Hopelessness does not bring this kind of a transformational power in our relationships. Only living and being conformed and molded and shaped into the image of Christ is what gets us to the place of of really experiencing God's freedom, what God has intended for us, God's design. And no matter how many steps we take, no matter how many steps we walk through on this journey of transformation, on this journey of relationship, the first one is is always the same, and it's the continual one, that we step into asking God for help with humility. We, we call upon the divine and say, I need you to show up in my life today so that I can be the husband that you've called me to be, so that I can be the father, so I can be the, the mother, so that I can be the friend, so that I can be the sister, that I can be the brother that you've called me to be. And so we pray, God, change me. That's what this one is about today. We started off the series with God Hear Me. And remember, Pastor Mark was talking about those Chewbacca prayers. Sometimes you just don't even know what to pray. You're just kind of groaning and, oh, God, you know, what is it it that you want to do? Can you hear me? Maybe some of us, that's, that's the thing that's resonating with you, that God actually can hear your prayers. That the God of the universe has open ears and, and, and desires to have communion and fellowship. He wants to hear your voice and he wants you to hear his. Or maybe it's that one we talked about last week with God use me. And that, that one seemed to really, really spark people's interest. Like God, God could use me. God wants to use my, my gifts and my talents. God wants to use my, my brokenness or my doubt or my fear. God wants to use my, my pain. God wants to use my weakness. All of these things are are not liabilities to God, but they're actually things that that create opportunity for me to be dependent upon God and trust God and be used by God in and through those things. See, transformation isn't just about the ability to lose the weight or bench press the weight. Transformation Tuesday, you know, throwback Thursday, these opportunities where we kind of get to see change in our lives where we get the value, the value of, of hindsight, where we can look at before and after. Those things are great, but it's not just in that picture. Transformation is not simply the power to care for someone in a particular moment when no one else does. It does not just happen because a new thought enters my mind or, beca- or because I systematically and formulaically incorporate that, st- that thought into my life and create wisdom No, transformation isn't just any one of those things. Transformation, change really, is the spiritual work that happens when all of these come together 
because they all matter. Because God's idea is not just, you know, a ripped six-pack, but his idea is transformation. His idea is wholeness. Because your heart matters. Your mind matters. Your body matters. Your spirit matters. In the midst of this, Jesus really offers us this transformational forgiveness, right? Because, I mean, every relationship we've had failure. Every relationship we've had pain. Every relationship that, that we've been in, every single part of these, you know, our heart, mind, soul, and strength that we're supposed to be a steward of, we've failed, we've fallen short. We can hit the gym 15, 20 hours a week, but relationships are on the rocks. We're binging in other areas. We're sacrificing in other areas. We're out of control in other areas. And every single one of us needs to start with this true gospel message, right? That, that if we summed up the gospel in, in just a, a sentence, it, it might just be something as, as simple as saying that God offers humankind forgiveness so that we can have a relationship with him. Just that simple. That there's a doorway to redemption. Well, as we look at, at God changed me, we're going to take a look at a few verses in John chapter 5. So if you want to grab your, your fridge fold and, and look on the front, then it's there. If you want to open up your Bible, we're using the New Living Translation this morning. And um, in John chapter 5, give you a little bit of a setup of what's going on. Jesus has started his earthly ministry. He's out traveling around, preaching, healing people, doing all kinds of miracles. And um, just, just a short while before this section in John chapter 5, religious leaders are coming to him. Government leaders are coming to him. He's going out to the marginalized. And so this Pharisee comes to him, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him under the cover of night. And, and he says, tell me more about this salvation, Jesus. I'm a religious leader, but I need to know what does a person need to do to be saved. And Jesus says, you must be born again, right? You must be born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God needs to make you alive. And Nicodemus goes, oh, okay. Jesus keeps traveling he comes to this Samaritan woman. He actually goes into Samaria. And as he's there at this well, this woman comes and he, and he tells her because he's hanging out and they're at a well and there's water and he's thirsty, he starts talking to her about living water. That you have this thirst. It goes beyond just something liquid that will satisfy you for a moment. But, he, but, for a moment, but, he, but he gets into her life and he's like, you've had five husbands. And the guy that you're with right now isn't even your husband. He's identifying that, that she has this, this deeper desire, this deeper thirst, this dissatisfaction with the way that relationships work. And he says, it's not the water that you need, it's living water. If you come to me for the living water, if you let me give you transformation and change, it will be so powerful in your life that you will never thirst again. Do you think he was talking about water? No. He was talking about the desires of her heart that he could satisfy and bring her to wholeness. As he's continuing his journey, this government official comes up and says, hey, my son is dying. Can you heal him? And Jesus says, go home. He's healed. Done. And as the guy gets home the next day, he hears the good news that his son is alive and well. And as he's, well, what time did that happen? And he, he, he narrowed it down to the very hour that Jesus had spoken to those words to him the day before. That was the moment that his son got up out of his bed and was healed. 
these moments of transformation, these moments of power. And here in John chapter 5, after these things have happened, this is kind of where we pick up. So afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches, and one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the waters bubble up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So what we have here is this, is this hospital, hospital waiting room with no doctors. Everybody's waiting. Ever the sick are gathered. They're, they're waiting for this pool of water to, to start churning, to start bubbling, to have some kind of movement in it. And, the, and this, as the story goes, this angel would come and, and stir the waters. And whoever got into the waters first would get healing. It's a one-shot deal. And so here this lame man has been there, and 38 years he's been wrestling with whatever this illness is. Maybe he's lame. Maybe there's some other debilitating thing that just causes him not to be able to, to use his body properly. And as he's trying to drag himself there, someone always gets in the way. And his reasoning, his excuse, the things that need to change is that it's not the water that has the healing, but it's the living water. It's not the water that he needs to get into. It's Jesus that needs to get into him. It is this faith that needs to spring forth out of his very being. And Jesus is going to give him this touch point. He's going to give him this word. But maybe before we get to that, maybe we get to the, the expression of faith. What is it, some of us in the room, we, we've got a little bit of hindsight. Maybe we can look back 38 years. Maybe we only need to look back three or five or ten. But we can see patterns in our life. And maybe, maybe the question is, what's been, what's been eating at you for 38 years? What are the patterns in your life that you see desperately need healing, but you've been completely unable to control them? What is gnawing away at your heart or your soul or tormenting your mind that you just cannot be forgiven of or cannot forgive someone else from? What are the things that Jesus would say to you? Well, do you want me to make you well? Would you like for me to, to bring healing into your life? This isn't an isolated incident. Over in Mark chapter 11, Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus pretty much the same question. What do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? And Bartimaeus emphatically says, I want you to make me see. I want to be healed. I don't want to stay in this state anymore. For some of us in this room, we, we may want change, but we don't want to change. We may want change, but we may not want to change. Oh yeah, come and just, just wipe it all away, but does that require me to do something? Do I have to change patterns in my life? Do I have to, do I have to be obedient to the other pieces of the, to the other instructions? Do I have to follow your heed on this pathway to healing? What do I need to do? Let me ask you this question. What is the greatest catalyst for change in your life right now? Think about it. What's causing change in your life right now? Is it pain? Is it brokenness? Is it love? I was talking to a couple yesterday, and um, 
And the, and the guy pulled me aside. And he's like, I'm going to propose today. Huge change was about to go down, right? All because of love. There's so many amazing reasons, so many amazing catalysts for change. And yet, what is it that is driving your change right now? Is it fear? Is it discontentment? As we get into this, Jesus answers this guy and he gives him this touch point of faith and he says to this this man, lame or sick for 38 years, he says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. And they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law does not allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. There are always going to be people on your journey of change and your expression of faith that tell you that you're not allowed to be faithful, that you're not allowed to be obedient, that that isn't how God works. So it's very important for you and I to know the voice of God. It's very important for you and I to have good conscience before God. So as we walk through these, these next few minutes, I'm going to talk about a couple things that change requires. And then I'm going to invite some guys up to the stage and, and we're going to get a little bit of an insight into some of the heart change that happens in a very specific part of our culture, a very specific area of brokenness where we have an epidemic of fatherless. Fatherlessness. We're going to talk about adoption and fostering. But as we talk about what change does, change requires change. The world is always moving. It's ebbing and flowing. But change requires change. This guy had to get outside of the paradigm that Jesus needed to pick him up and put him into the pool at the right time. And he needed to come to Christ and say, yes, I want to be healed. You're the only one who offers transformation. You're the only one that offers life. Change is a journey, not a destination. Change is that, that transformational work where, where I pull out my, my checkbook and I, and I write the check to God that just says, God, you get all of my resources. You get my heart, mind, soul, and strength. They're all yours. I'm going to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Change must happen. Change must happen. Life is not stagnant. It's vibrant. It's ebbing and flowing. It's filled with opportunity. It's bursting with beauty for those who have eyes to see it. And we have this promise from God that he is going to be faithful to complete the good work that he started in us. Earlier this year, we found ourselves kind of in the, in the cycle of our family in this season of, of just slowing down a little bit. It was spring break, and all of a sudden, the world just came to a screeching halt. And as we did this and spending time together, uh, I was looking at my kids, and they were, they were um, I, I realized that at the age of, of nine and seven, my oldest two, they still didn't know how to ride bikes. We had lived in this place um, on this very busy street, and then we had moved, and in the, in the, in the previous two years had just been very painful. 
And a lot of our time had just been doing damage control. And now all of a sudden, earlier this year, we found ourselves in this place of just, it was peaceful and it was, and it was calm. And, and so we busted out the bikes and, and we got them going. And, and it was a Friday and Elijah is, is, I'm running up and down the street with him. And you know, I'm six foot seven and I'm bending over and I'm running, you know, and I'm like, I am so suffering for you right now, Jesus. <laughs> I am loving my kids and this stinks. This, I'm like going to have back pain for the rest of my life here, you know, so I get him going and, and I'm working with JL a little bit, my oldest daughter, and, and she's getting going, but she's not, not real sure about it, but Elijah's ready and, and so we're just running up and down the street and then the next day, wake up and, and Elijah just runs out the front door, jumps on his bike and just takes off. I was like, what? In one day? Seriously? Awesome, you know, and so JL needed a little bit more work. Not, not quite as much confidence, but, but we're running up and down the street and we do this five or six times and I am about to break. I'm like, oh Lord, I'm praying. You gotta help me, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta get her, I gotta get her here. And so we're riding, we're running up and down the street and, and I take my hand off and she's like, daddy, don't let go. And I'm like, I'm right here with you. And she just keeps going and she's pedaling. Daddy, don't let go, I'm right here with you. Well, she doesn't know I'm not holding on. And all of a sudden, she's like, don't let me go. I'm going to fall. I'm like, you're not going to fall. You're doing it. And she goes, I am? I'm like, you've been riding here for the last 75 feet. I'm not even touching you. And she just looked at me and wobbled a little bit because, you know, you know <laughs> like, oh, whoa, 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 keep going. You know, I grabbed her real quick, straighten up. I'm like, you can do this, right? And she, and she, she sees the straightaway. A thousand feet out is the, is the end of the road, is the stop sign. And, and she goes, can I ride to the stop sign? I'm like, oh, yes, you can. And I just release her and I stand up straight, right? But she needed me in that moment to be with her, even while she was able, even while she was doing it until she gained the faith and the confidence in seeing the abilities that God had gifted her with and having the confidence to be able to know that, yes, she can do it. And as I sent her out, she rode all the way down and then back and then down and then back and then down and then back, just stretching out this newfound ability. Change must happen. It is necessary for growth. It is, a necessary for, is necessary for experiencing joy, for experiencing freedom. But not only that, change happens and it is unstoppable. Change happens and it is unstoppable. The next phase of life is already in motion. I remember the, going back to when JL, the day of her birth, and my wife is there and the labor pains are hitting her and Renee says, I can't do this. And I said, you don't have a choice. It is unstoppable. It is impending. There is no going back. You should have thought about that before. But change is happening. It is moving forward. It is cranking on, right? But as she experienced that pain, she didn't give up because then we had another child and then we had another child and then we had a miscarriage and then we had a stillbirth and now we're pregnant with our fourth child and she is not giving up on, on God's dream. She's not giving up on the truth that change happens. It is unstoppable and it is an opportunity for blessing in the world. 
When Jesus offers us change, he offers us forgiveness and he offers us transformation. He's not just simply offering us something better than we, than we have right now. He's offering us the best. He's offering us what he intended. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, the question is not what we intend for ourselves to be, but what God intended for us to be when he made us. That's really what change is about. And as we, as we talk about change in a very relational sense here for the next few minutes, I want you to invite up um, a few guys here from our panel. We have Thomas Kroom and Ricardo Sigurani. I always want to add an extra N in your name. And Jamie Thompson. So invite these guys up. <clears throat> So um, November is actually adoption month, and, um, and, and this week, the 21st, is actually National Adoption Day. And if you don't know, Serve Tallahassee, one of our ministries here at E3, not only is the tangible hand of Christ by, by sharing food on the second and fourth Saturdays of the month and relationship, but we also partner in other ways and other cycles of brokenness within our culture right here in, in our city. And so one of those is with a women's pregnancy center. And we partner with them to be able to provide, you know, counseling services and, and pregnancy support for unwanted or unexpected pregnancies, free um, ultrasounds, all of those kinds of services that really help care for um, a single mother or a young couple in this place of just not having the support that they need. Well, another, one, another organization that we partner with is called Go Foster. And Thomas Kroom is actually one of the founders of Go Foster. So I'll let Thomas share with us for a minute um, kind of about what Go Foster does. Go Foster uh, seeks to recruit and retain and research great foster parents. In short, uh, we spend a lot of time uh, working with parents and supporting them through the training and through the placements and through the heartache and dealing with agencies and trying to help them solve their problems uh, to be and stay great foster parents. So we really focus in on that niche um, and allow everyone else to focus on the kids and let God work through the people who are serving. Very good. So as we're talking about God change me and this transformation, what are some of the, the heart change pieces that you and your family have experienced on this journey um, of fostering and adoption? Well, I could go all day. <laughs> I'm sure and, and as I sit here and listen to you, I'm just like, yes, yes, that's my life, yes. And then I'm thinking up here, wow, that was a lot. I can't remember all of it. <laughs> but we came to foster and adoption through infertility. So having trouble having children uh, led us to lots of strategies, and we spent thousands of dollars on treatments and medical options and tried to heal ourselves. And uh, we looked at foster care as a, um, just one of many strategies to bring kids in, and we thought it would be a great way. We could bring kids in, they'll go back, it's foster, you know, and you'd see what the system's like and can you adopt from the state and you hear all these stories about the kids and it would be a great sort of test run. And then we got a kid and then we got a second and I was like, this was the wrong way to think about that because um, you just attach immediately. Um, so over our time, we've had 20 plus kids. Uh, we've adopted four. Um, 
I have changed as the father, as our family um, has grown. We think about who our children are in Christ and who we are as a family much differently now than we did before. Um, we've had many opportunities to serve in a community and to help other parents along the way and, and, and share. Uh, we get the opportunity to talk a lot about broken families and uh, rejuvenation and planting seeds in children who are then going back home. And it's, it's uh, man, it's just all of that. And it's, it's really used me, changed me, helped me grow. Um, and once you step foot, and, and having the men, for me personally, being able to encourage more men to come in and, and be that man out front saying, I'm being responsible for this. And, I'm, and God loves the women and the mothers. I love them tremendously. But to see men come in and bring their families with them to serve these kids in the communities, that's, for me, the, one of the greatest transformations that I'm hoping to see mm. and we have an impact with personally and with Go Foster. All right. So you have seven kids right now? I do. Sorry, I have seven kids, four adopted. Um, and I've had kids from two days old to turning 18 the next day. We've had pregnant um, teenagers. We've had sick cancer kids. We've had siblings. We've had kids for a few hours. We've had some that will never go away. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I say that in a loving way. <laughs> right. Well, that's the heart of God, right? Don't want him to go away. Yeah. Um, so, Ricardo, um, tell us a little bit about you and, and your family, you and, and Zyra, and, and your, your journey towards um, this whole thing of, of adoption and fostering. What's been going on? What's God doing? Well, I just want to let people know that this is a really short version. If you want the better version, you can sit down with my wife and she'll give you the whole It's an amazing story. Uh, we're a family that we like to plan stuff in our life. Uh, usually we got plan A, B, C, D. Uh, we always said when we started uh, being together that once we were in a point of our lives that we had the time and the resources, we would think of adopting. And that time we thought was now. And again, we had plan A, B, C, and D. And one day uh, God spoke to, to my wife uh, first and she came to me and told me God told me that we should go the route of fostering. And again, I went through my list. It's not A, it's not B, it's not C, it's not D. <laughs> so I, so I, I just said, you know what? I would like for God to just let me you know, tell me too, and then just confirm this message because it's, <laughs> it's a big decision. And then we came to E3. We were attending E3 at the time. And during that service, like three or four times, it was a direct message like, it's not your plan, it's my plan. And then... So we went back home uh, that same day, riding back home. We said, you know what? We're going to make a very difficult prayer, and we're going to say, God, we're going to do what you want us to do. And it was exciting, scary. Uh, it was all these kinds of feelings at the same time because we don't know what the end was. We didn't know. So we went through the whole process. It was, the word's amazing. It was amazing how pieces started falling in place, how God started opening doors, people that came to our life. It's still going on. We still don't know the end of this, but we just know that when you walk and when we started walking on God's plan, it, it's amazing. I mean, we, with all our 10 hundred plans that we had, we could have never <laughs> planned this way. Awesome. And uh, we're currently uh, opposite of Tom. We just, we're starting the process. Uh, we are, we passed all the tests, we took all the courses, we did all the paperwork. We're waiting for our license to come, hopefully, here within the next week so we can start Wonderful. fostering. That's exciting. Very good. Very good. 
So Jamie Thompson, tell us, tell us a little bit about you and Heidi and, and your journey through adoption. And Okay. It's, uh, it, it's hard not to, or I guess it's, it's hard to talk about Elise's adoption without talking about both because um, those of you that know us know that uh, about a month after we adopted Elise, we found out that Heidi was two months pregnant. And uh, it's amazing the number of people that say, oh, well, you finally relaxed and, and had a baby. And I, I don't buy it at all. Um, it's, it was 100% part of God's plan because if he had been born a month or we had gotten pregnant a month earlier in our humanness, we, we would not have adopted Elise. And if it had been a month later, we would have taken steps to make sure that, that Bradley wasn't here. Um, we uh, also came to adoption through infertility. We had tried for five years, had actually gotten our foster license and uh, thought that we were uh, going to foster uh, two kids, a, a five and a seven-year-old, and all of a sudden that fell through, and the uh, children's home called us and said that there's a 14-year-old expecting mother who wants to give her baby up for adoption, and she's chosen you guys. And so... We, we then had to rush around and get our adoption license. And then about three or four days before she was born, we found out that um, the father's, the birth father's family was going to contest it. And so um, she was born because we had a foster license. We were able to take her in while the, the adoption was, uh, while things were being contested. And so to say that we finally relaxed is, is, as far from the truth <laughs> as anything. And then um, Bradley was born in uh, the following August. And after being delivered at 2 o'clock in the morning, doctor comes in the next morning, and uh, the first thing he asks is, did you uh, get all the genetic testing? And, and we, we said yes. He said, well, we're going to run some more tests, and, and you'll find out in two weeks whether you have a healthy baby or not. Mm. And so our... Our two birth experiences were, um, there was a lot of, lot of pain and, and fear. And um, now we have two very healthy children. The uh, adoption was finalized when Elise was a year and a half. And I think for me, I've never considered myself a naturally selfish person, but I'm an extremely self-centered person. And I think God has used that to give me such a deep, deep appreciation for the, the two gifts that he's, he's given us. And, and when things get difficult, uh, to really look back and, and uh, just draw on that. And, uh, and then also, during all of that time, I'm, I'm somebody that also likes to guess take pride and I, I take control of of what happens around me um I I produce my own fate and and those were two situations where I just had to fall down and say God it's in your hands mm -hmm. um and uh so through that God didn't just change me he he rewired me absolutely and uh and I can honestly look at God and pray God, not my will, but your will be done. As, as hard as that still is, 
I think through all of that, I've, I've learned to, to honestly and genuinely make that prayer. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank these guys. <clears throat> Thank you guys so much for being part of the panel this morning and sharing your lives with us. What an amazing story. You get just little glimpses of it, little pieces of the sovereignty of God unfolding through all of those little things. You know, if this, then that. And God just kind of setting the stage to be able to move through these pieces. Another one of my friends, um, he wasn't able to be part of our panel at this gathering, but he was at the 9 a.m. gathering. And uh, his name is Hayes Laird. And, and Hayes shared uh, another side of the story because Hayes was adopted from birth. And over the course of his life, um, just experiencing the love of his adopted parents, you know, and he's like, I don't really talk about them like adoptive parents and birth parents. They're just my parents. They're just mom and dad, you know, it's just, but it, it was such a wonderful thing for him to experience the security and the safety and the unconditional love that came from uh, a couple just opening up their home and saying, we want to create space to give you a family. We want, we want to change your story. And the cool thing about Hayes' story is that, that it wasn't just his story, but Hayes also adopted. And so as he was, as he was beginning to seek the Lord, he came across a, a, a young lady, and they started dating. Her name was Margo. And, um, and, and as they were dating um, on their second date, Margo shared with Hayes that... Um, she had just found out that she was three weeks pregnant with her former ex-boyfriend. And, and Hayes looked at her and said, I believe that God has brought us together. I, I've known from the moment that I saw you that God had a plan for our lives. And we'll just see what happens, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not running away from this. And over the course of... Of, of dating and everything, they, they got married and little Jonah was born and, and was adopted. And so the legacy continues. And if you know Margot, she's at the Women's Advance right now. She's very active here in women's ministry and discipleship and, and ministering in E3 Kids, doing musical worship for our children. And um, so the story of, of, of one person is never just the story of one person, right? The change that, that happens affects everyone. The change of, of us stepping into these areas of brokenness affects everyone. And the truth of the matter is, is you and I have no idea what God wants to do through our lives. We have no idea what God is dreaming and how he wants to use our broken hearts or how he wants to use our suffering or how he wants to use our gifts, or our strengths, or our experiences, or our weaknesses. You have no idea how he wants to use all of those resources that he has entrusted to you. And as we step into those things, we will become the light of the world. Know that you are God's masterpiece. That we have been given the vision and the mission to be the hand of hope in the world. See, when you and I change, then the world around us must change. When you and I experience the truth and let it impact our hearts and minds and souls and bodies, then every single person that encounters us must make a choice about the truth, must make a choice about unconditional love, must make a choice of, of faith and hope. 
and that grace is real, that forgiveness is true. When you and I give our hearts to God, then the world around us will experience the love of God. Praying, God, change me. Let's pray.